Good evening. It's dark outside, and this is quietly yours. This is part four in our special mini-series, Fragments, released exactly when it was supposed to be and not a moment later. Have you figured it out yet? Don't worry, all will be revealed. But before we start, I just want to remind you that Quietly Yours is on Patreon. It's a great way to support the show financially by signing up for as little as a dollar a month. And in return, there's a whole load of rewards up for grabs, including behind-the-scenes content, access to our patron-only Discord server, and your very own shout-out, right here on the show. You can sign up at patreon.com slash quietly yours. If you can't help out financially, that's fine. The show will always be free. You can also help us out by sharing the show far and wide. Got a friend who likes horror? Send it to them. Got a friend who hates horror? Even better, send it to them. They're the easiest to scare. Anyway, with all that out of the way, it's time to dive into part four of Fragments. This episode is called A Hand in the Dark. It happens in between. The air grows heavy. The light fades away. The membrane is passed. And everything goes black. Then the stage lights come back up. And I'm somewhere else. But it's in that blackness those in-between moments that it happens. An upturned hand reaching out from the dark. There's no one attached to it. It ends at the elbow. Just a hand floating amongst nothing. My third novel was the hardest to write. The last two were solid, decent even, but pulpy. Serial killers, zombies. I felt like I needed something darker, more mature. And a haunted house story seemed like it could offer the kind of subtlety I needed. But nothing would come out. I built up with prose this wonderfully spooky house with this 
rich history and character, and behind each door there should have been phantoms. But no matter what I did, I could not open those doors. I shelved the manuscript eventually, and I didn't write for a while after that. I tried, but inspiration was evasive and time was not my friend. It's not as though two books is especially lucrative, and after all, it's hard enough to fit writing around the day job, especially when you're hardly sleeping. I hadn't written for two whole years when I met Charlotte. I'd been telling myself for months that I would get back into it soon. But I'd been missing the kick that I needed. I got that when the royalties started to dry up. I had to take more hours at work and I started to realise that that was it. That was how I could get stuck. I, I realised that it was, it was now or never. So I tried diving back in. That didn't exactly work. You'd think that it's like riding a bike. But I think that comes from this strange idea that writing is some inbuilt gift that you just have or you don't have, which, of course, is not true. It's more like a muscle. And you can't expect to bench press 200 pounds without a little training. So, I joined a writing class. And I lied about my career. Told everyone that I'd never been published before. It was embarrassing, somehow. Being in a class when you already, well, you're supposed to know what you're doing anyway. Well, I thought that was stupid. But then I met Charlotte. I asked her why she'd taken the class and... She told me she'd never meant to take it in the first place. She'd signed up for a book club, ended up in the wrong room, and then decided to stick with it after the first lesson. <laughs> she outdid me with that one. Everything got easier from there. It was like coming up for air. trees I make it the darker it gets but I struggle on and guided only by the moonlight the moonlight is there it hits me like a car a bone-breaking impact that pushes me to the ground I'm face down in the dirt and I feel the immense weight of the creature on top of me as it starts clawing at my back with sharp long claws hot blood runs down my sides and after what feels like an eternity of burning and gnawing and piercing pain, I'm gone. Gone. Nothing but a meal for the creature on my back. Little things make all the difference. It's easy to fall into the trap 
when you're reduced to lying in bed all day, of thinking that you'll never find the strength to get up. But you don't have to surmount the insurmountable. You just have to take it a step at a time. And the little things add up, like dominoes. And that's how I rebuilt my life, with Charlotte by my side. And I started writing again, properly writing, a new novel. The haunted house stayed shelved though, and I returned to my pulp roots, <laughs> werewolves, and all their trashy glory, transforming in the moonlight and hunting down their prey. All in all, life was going pretty smoothly. We'd only been together for a year when we found out about the baby. It wasn't planned and it was certainly quick, but we decided to make it work. And it gave me the kick I needed to start writing faster than ever. The werewolf book was published not too long after Dylan's first birthday. It sold decently and even led to a nice little sales boost for the town at sunset. That made Christmas a little bit easier. But best of all, it led to a killer advance for my next book. I didn't even know what I was going to write next, but I accepted it in a heartbeat. It wasn't a huge amount, but it would be enough to take a year off work, dedicate myself fully to writing. So I dusted off my old haunted house story and I set to work. That was the best year of my life. I did have to go back to work eventually. I was making enough that I only had to go back part-time. That was a big improvement. Allowed me plenty of time to dedicate to writing and it kept childcare a little easier. It was all thanks to Charlotte, really. It was only possible because she was working so hard. She was doing shift work for a long time, but after a few years, she moved to a standard nine to five and that was brilliant. For the first time, we had the entire weekend to ourselves. We started a lovely tradition of weekly movie night every Sunday. They were wonderful. I remember one time, I don't remember what movie we were watching now, but it must have been hilarious. The three of us were squashed up on the couch together, half hidden under one big blanket to ward off the winter cold. But Dylan was laughing so hard at this movie, he ended up spraying an impressive stream of soda all out of his nose, all over the blanket. Charlotte was trying to tell him off, but she couldn't keep from laughing. So I don't think she sounded as much of an authority as she hoped she did. I just remember watching them both, giggling their heads off, and thinking, wow, can they even be real? Dylan was five when he died. The image of Charlotte running down the stairs in panic is burned so strongly into my mind. I don't know how I could have forgotten it. By that point though, it was too late. He was gone. I remember sitting in the hospital and complete disbelief. Nothing felt 
real. It was like, like it wasn't my life. Like my eyes weren't my eyes. I felt like I was watching everything through a screen, like it was someone else's life and I'm just watching the movie. And the frame of that movie was narrowing, restricting, the dark edges of the vignette slowly closing in. I don't know how I would have made it through if it weren't for Charlotte. I took her hand, the only thing in the world that felt real to me, and I didn't let go until we arrived back at the house and collapsed into bed for the worst night's sleep either of us had ever had. Days passed, and we knew things would never be normal again. But we were trapped inside lives that were going to return to normalcy whether we liked it or not. But it was a new normal. Our same old lives, but a new version of them. A version of our lives with an empty hole, haunting us like a spectre. And as the weeks passed, Charlotte needed me more and more. But I did what I do best. I withdrew. I hid away, isolated myself, refused help. It was like drowning without the strength to swim. It was easier to just relax and let the waves take me. We tried therapy after a few months. It wasn't my idea. I didn't even like the idea. But I loved her. And she wanted it. Needed it. Or maybe she thought I needed it. I don't know. It was her desperate attempt to keep us together in a harsh world where we were drifting apart. It didn't do much good, though. I knew it wouldn't. They tell you they're there to listen, but they can never understand. They try to advise you on how to strengthen your relationship, but how, how can that be possible when we're both so different to those two people so long ago who fell in love in a silly little writing class? No, it didn't do much good. It never does. I think I've always left therapy feeling worse than I did when I went in. Which made me reluctant to go back and ever try again. I realise now that maybe I was the problem. After all, how can anything work if you're just going in there determined to prove that it doesn't? Talk about self-destruction. I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise, really, when Charlotte left. I don't blame her. She put up with more than most people would, and through everything, I never stopped loving her. But I put her through so much more pain than she ever should have been in, and if, if she's happier away from me, then that's where she ought to be. Still, it hurt. I know I was barely keeping it together before, but... Holding on by a string is better than not holding on at all. 
And then one day, I woke up to the cold reality that the last lingering thread had been severed and I was in free fall. It was never going to end well. has been empty for a while now. Nearly empty, anyway. No voices. No children. No dresses. No aprons. The doors are all open, and time... flows. In a way. There's a fountain outside, in a small courtyard though it's only visible through the kitchen window. It looks like it might have been beautiful once, but it's old now. The water no longer flows and the concrete structure has become slick with a slimy layer of moss. At the top of the fountain is a podium. I imagine a statue stood there once, but it's empty now. I'm staring at it, as I do every day when the room begins to shift and I realize it's happening again. But I'm not scared. Not anymore. Because I think I get it now. I understand what this place is, why I'm here. I wonder how many times I've been here, robbed of my memories in the infinite darkness between worlds with this floating hand stretched out towards me. How many times have I seen this without recognizing it? The chipped paint on the fingernails, the freckle on her wrist, the golden ring with its inscription, the date of Charlotte's grandmother's wedding day. I thought it was me at first, that there was something wrong with my perception, that that's why time seems to move so oddly here, or why it doesn't seem to move at all sometimes, why everything happens out of order, linked, but not joined, not like a line, more like polka dots. And I didn't understand those places, those visions, the town, the man, the ducks. I thought this place was some kind of prison, created to hold me, but separate from me. I was wrong. This place isn't separate from me at all. It's part of me. These rooms, these ghosts, they're drawn from me, from my memories. Memories of my life, memories of my mother, memories of my son, my books, my monsters, my demons. They're me. Pieces of my life picked up like sand in a hurricane, spinning around and settling back down again in a different order. And I'm here, living it all again in fragments. And I think I know why. At first, 
thought I was dead. That this was some kind of purgatory, if not just hell itself. But no, I don't think that's right, because I think I know what this is now. And I'm here, standing in the void, inches from that floating, outstretched hand, and I'm not scared. Not anymore. I reach out, and I take her hand in my own. Why would you do this? You have to wake up. Please, Please wake, wake up. 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 grip on her hand and I'm falling. Falling through the void, all the way down, or up, I don't know. This endless black goes on and on forever, and through it, I'm falling. I'm falling and I don't know if I'll ever stop. subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app you use, and the fifth and final installments will pop up on your phone very soon. Until then, I am quietly yours, and you are quietly mine.